Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. State University of New York Chancellor Jim Malatras is resigning, effective January 14th. It comes as Malatras was facing mounting pressure to exit after State Attorney General Tish James found he tried to discredit a colleague at former Governor Andrew Cuomo's office. She later accused Cuomo of sexual harassment and fostering a toxic workplace in a scandal that led to Cuomo's resignation last August. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Malatras, in his letter, said, Recent events surrounding me over the past week have become a distraction. He touted his accomplishments while at SUNY, but he didn't apologize for any of his controversial behaviors that have received attention in recent days. Malatras' actions toward Cuomo accuser Lindsay Boylan, which include calling her an expletive in an email and suggesting that her private emails be released to publicly humiliate her, led to calls for him to step down. An audio recording released to the Albany Times Union intensified the pressure for the chancellor to exit. It was made by a former employee employee of the Rockefeller Institute of Government, which Malatris was leading at the time. In it, Malatris can be heard cursing and berating the woman. The SUNY Board of Trustees held an emergency meeting Thursday. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Board Chair Merrill Tisch praised Malatris' leadership, saying he brought a broad range of talent, ambition, and dedication to the job. We are grateful for uh, the work, and we wish him every success in this life as he has made a difficult and complicated decision. Tish did not mention the incidents that led to the chancellor's exit. The board is dominated by appointees of Cuomo. Tish, along with 14 other of the 18 members, were chosen by the former governor. They decided not to undertake a nationwide search for a new chancellor when the job became open in 2020, and they instead agreed to appoint Malatris, a close Cuomo ally, to the job. Fred Cole is president of the United University Professions. It's the union representing SUNY's professors and other faculty. Cole says he's greatly relieved that Malatris made the decision to go. At the end of the day, I welcome the end of this drama. The union had not called on the chancellor to step down. Cole says that's because they were concerned about a break in continuity in SUNY's leadership just as budget negotiations were to begin, and they wanted to make sure the funding for the campuses was not affected. But he says he had become increasingly uneasy over the accounts of Malatra's bad behavior toward others, and he says many of his members were angry as well. What I saw as a continuous drumbeat of stories coming out and they were becoming more and more disturbing. Call says he hopes the SUNY board will appoint an interim chancellor who can hit the ground running. But the union is urging SUNY to conduct a nationwide search this time to attract a high-quality candidate for the chancellor's job. He says the union asked for that when Malatris was appointed last year, but their request was ignored. If you don't do a search, you can end up with someone who a couple years down the road may have issues that develop that a search could suss out. 
but without a search, you can miss things. Assembly Higher Education Committee Chair Deborah Glick, who earlier this week did call on Malatris to resign, agrees that the SUNY board needs to conduct a comprehensive search for his replacement. Hopefully it's a lesson to them that their job is to be an independent board focused on the mission of the university and that that's where their loyalty lies, uh, not to... Uh, an appointing authority. Governor Kathy Hochul has already purged state government of former Cuomo aides who were implicated in the sexual harassment scandal, but she had said she did not have the power to remove Malatris, who was hired by the SUNY board. The governor has promised an overhaul of the SUNY system, though. She says she'll detail it in her State of the State message in January. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Well, let's start with New York Attorney General Tish James is now dropping out of the 2022 race for governor of New York, saying she still has work to do on investigations that includes probes into former President Donald Trump's business dealings and the National Rifle Association. She joined the race in October following the issuance of reports that led to the resignation of then-Governor Andrew Cuomo. The announcement says the New York Times came on the day that it became known that Ms. James' office intended to subpoena former President Trump to testify in a civil fraud investigation. I'm wondering how much this also has to do with the fact that she did not fare well in the last poll against current governor, Kathy Hochul. Well, I think there's a lot to untangle here, David. First of all, she is an extraordinary public servant and has done extremely well in the attorney general's office. Now, she would, of course, have been a natural candidate to accede to the governorship, except that Cuomo resigned, and that sort of bollocked up her plans. So she's going to stay as attorney general, and because she has been such a good attorney general, I'm sure that a lot of people will be pleased. It's clear that the two of them, Hochul and James, have talked, and an endorsement was forthcoming from Hochul to her, to James's attorney general, re-up. So that's out of the way. A great deal of this had to do with the fact that people were ready for a little stability after the ups and downs of the Cuomo administration. And Governor Hochul has shown herself to be a competent leader. And I think that is what people were ready for post-Cuomo. And that has a great deal to do with it. So she's calling for the former president, that's Tish James, to testify under oath in this investigation. Could we finally see some resolution more quickly? David, I've been around this whole thing with Trump long enough to know that he, his associates, the people who work for him and who shill for him are not going to give up easily. I wouldn't count on a lot happening here. I think James is right to pursue it. But as you know, Trump has a lot of lawyers, a lot of money, and so far nobody's really laid a finger on him. But hey, it's worth trying. The other big announcement, State University of New York Chancellor Jim Malatris resigning mm. now, effective January 14th. It came as he faced mounting pressure to exit after State Attorney General Tish James found he tried to discredit a colleague at former Governor Andrew Cuomo's office. Now another Cuomo acolyte resigning. I told you this was going to happen because this is clear that the new governor, Hochul, didn't need this. She will be, of course, responsible for appointing members of the State University Board, David. And why did she need to defend the indefensible? It was time to go. I said it was time to go. He's gone. 
I feel a little bit bad for the guy, but he is a Cuomo guy, and Cuomo is not being able to save his former associates, and that's what he was. He was put in there. Probably not a good idea. You know, you take a guy who's had a few years in SUNY, he's your friend, you appoint him, but this is a job that should have been done after a national search, finding the finest academic that you could to run the place. Not only being an academic, but being an academic administrator. So you look around the country and even the world to find the right person. That wasn't what happened here, and I think an awful lot of people know it. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartoff. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. As communities across the U.S. see an influx of refugees from Afghanistan, the White House coordinator for Operation Allies visited Albany this week to learn about the capital city's Afghan resettlement efforts. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports. Former Delaware Governor Jack Markell visited the North Pearl Street headquarters of the New York State Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance. Markell was appointed by President Biden to coordinate what is called Operation Allies Welcome, a directive from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security to lead Afghan resettlement on American soil. He has been touring the country to learn more about the best practices for Afghan refugees by state, city, and community organizations. And it has been, frankly, just incredibly inspiring. Uh, That's a word that is used too much, but in this case it is absolutely fitting to see the spirit and the generosity of the American people. And it is obvious uh, that once you uh, get past people who are, you know, in politics like me and you get to the American people, there's no longer blue and and red. And it's just about how do we work together uh, on behalf of our country. The city of Albany has resettled roughly 200 Afghan refugees since the U.S. withdrew the last troops from Afghanistan in August. Markell says he's spoken with Albany business people. One local employer has hired 17 Afghans in the last four weeks. Uh, which is truly remarkable. We know that the most important thing that we can do is put people on a path to self-sufficiency as quickly as possible. Mayor Kathy Sheehan thanked city residents for welcoming refugees with open hearts. We have a community that is supporting the resettlement of our newest arrivals from Afghanistan, and we stand prepared to ensure that we are doing all that we can to welcome our new families, to ensure that they have access to housing and jobs and are able to build happy, healthy lives in our city. We have benefited so much from the arrivals of families and refugees from all over the world. And we know that we are a place that can provide incredible opportunity 
and we continue to work together. Later in the day, Governor Kathy Hochul announced that $2 million in additional state funding will be provided to help Afghan evacuees acclimate to life in New York, bringing the total state commitment to $5 million. Jaleel Sadat is a student at Bard College who fled Afghanistan during the Taliban takeover and joined Hochul at her announcement. It's a pleasure being here to um, represent the fellow Afghans and also Bard community. And I'm, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the kind of support um, I have received from Bard College uh, because uh, the journey that I had all the way from Kabul to the States um, it's been chaotic. Sadat fled Afghanistan carrying only his smartphone, on which he had pictures of his university ID and passport. The college in Annandale-on-Hudson has been helping Afghan students find safe havens to continue their studies at Bard. Sheehan noted Albany's tight housing situation can be challenging, especially during the pandemic. She is reaching out to landlords in hopes they'll work with the United States Committee for Refugees and Immigrants. You know, those who do have uh, affordable apartments that are available, uh, this is a community that is really supported. And, you know, it's not just uh, a new tenant. You're, you're providing a family with a home that's really needed, knowing that there are support services behind that family that you can reach out to if you have any questions or challenges. So, um, you know, I really would encourage anyone who has space available to reach out to USCR, CRI so that we can find homes for these families. Dave Lucas, WAMC News. A state-run vaccination center reopened last week in Queensbury as surrounding communities in the North Country are grappling with a spike in COVID-19 infections. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard reports. Speaking with WAMC, Glens Falls Hospital Chief Medical Officer Dr. Howard Fritz asked the public to do its part to slow the spread of COVID-19. The issue is that COVID cases, very often, we can do something to minimize the impact or reduce it by being vaccinated and wearing masks and washing our hands and using common sense precautions. We can't predict a heart attack. We can't predict appendicitis. We can't do much to influence that in the short term, but we sure as heck can do something about trying to mitigate the risk of COVID. Following calls from local leaders, the state reopened the mass vaccination site at Aviation Mall in Queensbury. The site, located off Northway Exit 19, is also serving as a regional COVID testing hub. It will be open daily from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Testing will be offered on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Vaccinations for those seeking either their primary dose or a booster are being offered on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Appointments can be made online and over the phone, though walk-in appointments will also be available. In announcing the new location, Governor Kathy Hochul said, quote, with the arrival of winter when more people are traveling and gathering indoors and the emergence of the Omicron variant, we are reminded that we cannot let our guard down in our fight against COVID-19, end quote. The vaccination site inside a former Sears store closed amid decreased demand in the summer before the wave attributed to the Delta variant and before pediatric doses and booster shots were available. The leaders of Warren and Washington counties called for its reopening in November. Rachel Sieber, chair of the Warren County Board of Supervisors, said the state acted swiftly and credits the governor and her staff for their work to open the site. The site in a busy commercial hub is accessible to those in need across the region, says Sieber. We're really 
at providing accessibility for testing and vaccination and the booster uh, to multiple counties. There wasn't a mass center that was north of Albany. So, you know, this was something that, that was desperately needed, not just for us, but for so many people in the Adirondacks. Sieber says the testing and vaccination site also frees up the Warren County Public Health Department to assist those who cannot travel. The Republican County Board Chair also says she has one more ask of the state as COVID-19 spreads and fears of the Omicron variant intensify. Provide at-home testing kits. They're hard to find. When you do find them, they're expensive. Um, and, you know, many times I hear people telling me they're going store to store to store to try to find those home kits. So the state, I hope, will be very helpful in providing distribution of these once they're able to get their hands on them. President Joe Biden is announcing new efforts to encourage vaccinations and testing, including reimbursement for at-home test kits as part of his administration's winter COVID plan. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Five Democrats are running in New York's 21st congressional district primary. Among them is first-time candidate Ezra Watson, who once worked for Raytheon and is now a contingent worker. Watson tells the Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley he has wanted to get into local government, but the events of January 6th motivated him to run for the congressional seat held by Republican Representative Elise Stefanik. I want to run for Congress because I'm deeply concerned about the gradual erosion of our rights, voting rights included, as became evident. Um, And I just wanted to be a bastion of our democracy, more or less, and put myself into the game, Uh, mind, soul, and spirit, and body. I want to help build back our country to where our rights are protected. Uh, We are not being eroded and sold out to private entities where we should have federally guaranteed uh, things in place. That includes health care, a clean environment, clean air. You know, after seeing Trump kind of erode our, you know, replace our EPA with people who did not get that concept, We need to build it back and we need to build it much stronger than it was before to make sure that it cannot be um, eroded. You just mentioned that you want to be part of a bastion of democracy. And I also noticed on your website that you state one of the reasons you're running is that you're fighting for a new vision for upstate New York. What is your vision for upstate for the North Country region? What we're seeing in North Country, especially as a result of COVID, Stefanik, um, just not caring about this area anymore, as it is apparent. Many examples of that voting, you know, even though she declared, I'm going to bring broadband, you know, she voted against the infrastructure bill, which basically puts broadband into this area. You know, I've often made the comparison, even, you know, Siberia has better broadband than we do and for cheaper cost at 100 megabits per second. <laughs> and we still don't have it. But now the Democrats 
are going to make it happen. They're also going to fix and repair, uh, keep repairs up on the uh, Seaway International Bridge. They're doing all kinds of things that the Republicans have failed to do, but I don't want to make this an, a, a Republican versus Democrat fight just yet, although that that does resonate with a lot of people. But my, my point is, is that the vision for North Country is that we have within this area so many things that are critical to, I would say, many aspects of, uh, of, uh, of our American way of life. Agriculture is a big one. Uh, there are so many opportunities here that we can't afford to miss. Now, as we're seeing climate change affect agriculture, dairy included, work toward climate uh, solutions, uh, agricultural solutions. The, 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 the point is, is that it's a beautiful area with lots of potential in so many areas, so many industries and, and uh, so many, and just in so many positive ways that, it, that are being neglected right now that we could totally, we can find, we can absolutely find ways to, to, to bolster the economy up here. You tend to be a progressive Democrat. Some people would say in the mode of Bernie Sanders. Yes. And that would be accurate. If you go to your website, you can see that you support things like abolishing all student debt. You support the Green New Deal. You support a carbon tax. You'd like to get rid of Citizens United. You have a broad range of issues listed on your website. To condense things, what are your key priority issues that you are discussing during the campaign and what are the key things that people are talking to you about? And how does that interact and interface with your issues? Yeah, very good. I'm glad you mentioned that because it forces me into really defining my campaign based on two major pillars, climate and health care. Um, health care is, is uh, many weaknesses have been exposed during COVID. And... Uh, one of these weaknesses is is uh, access to it and and being able to fund it for private citizens. I look at healthcare as a human right, not as something that you need to work to get. As I look at food, housing, and education. So back to climate, that to me is such a blaring issue right now. You know, I have seen in my lifetime that the ice caps melt. I have seen in my time here in the Adirondacks, this, the weather changing. I've seen stories of crops you know, altering cycles, uh, algae blooms you know, in the lakes that weren't there before. Well, this is not a coincidence. It's all climate change, and it's going to keep progressing. As we now know, there are ways forward out of this uh, dependence on fossil fuels Ezra Watson, right now, we don't know what the results of redistricting will be, but this district, the 21st district, does tend to vote Republican. What feedback are you getting from voters as you campaign to your issues and your stance on the issues? I've heard a lot of things about minimum wage increase, which I'm for, $15 minimum wage. We need that. Another um, issue is taxes. So... How are we going to pay for it? Stefanik loves to answer that question. Uh, I suppose the same way we <laughs> paid for $8, million, $8 trillion dollar, uh, uh, war. See, we just, it's a matter of political reinvestment and capital reinvestment. But um, 
one of the things I hear about is lowering tax. So it's on the state and local tax level. Ezra Watson, you're planning to set up offices and begin more intense campaigning. Are you concerned that the county chairs have already endorsed one of the other Democratic candidates? Um, I suppose I should be concerned, but at this point, it's not a showstopper. I, I know who it is. They, um, tw- twice they've endorsed uh, Castelli. Um, he has raised a lot of money, and I know they're l- looking at these um, as factors and who will win against Stefanik. Um, but it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not deterring me really at this time. But um, it does seem a little bit early. So I, I feel like I, I haven't really had a chance to go out and fo- I haven't, I mean, I haven't done a tour yet. And I, I haven't really, because of the fact that I work full time is going to be a challenge for me, admittedly. And I know that Castelli has overcome these issues with the amount that he's raised. So it's, I mean, the game, it's, it's not over yet. And I, I just, I want a chance to formulate my, my message succinctly and deliver it. Ezra, this race will intensify after the beginning of the year. How do you plan to define yourself compared to the other Democrats in the primary while still focusing on the eventual and overall general election goal in the congressional race? Well, I define myself as someone who studies the issues very, very in depth and tries to come up to solution to these issues, as well as take most of my input in how I would make decisions from directly from the people who live in the 21st Congressional District, issues that relate to rural residents, the Adirondacks. So what defines me is I have, I'm the only one who has declared that, that I would vote for Medicare for All and the Green New Deal. I also support bold action and climate change, as in a cessation of, of fossil fuel investment, as well as being fully behind renewables and regenerative agriculture and universal single-payer health care. Ezra Watson faces Matthew Petorti, Matt Costelli, Bridie Farrell, and Keith Sherrill in a Democratic primary. 11 of the 12 county chairs in the district this week endorsed Castelli. An extended conversation with New York 21st Congressional District Democratic candidate Ezra Watson is at WAMC.org, as are interviews with other candidates in the field. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2150. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.